please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. And a few, I guess it's been months at this point, we had Mr. Mark Curtis on to talk about reloading. And when, when he came on to talk about reloading, that same day we had an article from the AJC come out saying how guns were so dangerous and we needed to do something about all the guns and how you're more likely to be killed by a gun than in an automobile accident. And our serious discussion on reloading took a violent turn into... Tirades. About the (laughs) horrid reporting nature of the AJZ article. And we never really got back to the topic of what is reloading, how to get started, how much you're supposed to spend, and what's what's the good, the bad, and the ugly of of reloading in general. And um, I know a, a while back I also did another episode on cowboy action shooting. So with that and my venture into cowboy action shooting, reloading is taking a much higher priority. And I think everybody who does any kind of competitive shooting, whether it's competitive rifle shooting for precision or competitive pistol shooting for volume, ends up having to reload for one reason or another. So we, we invited Mark back into the studio. He's sitting with us right here right now to talk about reloading and what you need to do to get started with reloading. So welcome, Mark. Howdy. Um, one of the things that I would like to, to start off with is I think most people realize that you can reload rifle and pistol, but you can also reload shotgun as well, and you can make shot shells for rifles and pistols, or, or at least pistols. There's so many options. What, what can you do in reloading? What can you do? Basically anything that is considered reprocessable uh, with the proper equipment. You can essentially clean it, prepare it, size it, determine a load to stick in it, and then re-crimp or re-seal it again. Uh, Certainly shotgun shells are a worthy... uh, vehicle for a reload? Yeah, uh, the the old number 7 dove load I used to reload back, oh my goodness, it's 30 years since I was interested in shotgun reloading, and that was typically at the time because steel was new with duck hunters, and I had this urgent need to cut the cost of steel duck hunting loads, and it turns out I couldn't do steel because we weren't advanced enough at the time with wads and other things for reloading. But uh, I know people that do competitive uh, shotgunning and certainly dove and, and bird hunting uh, that do reload shotgun. Uh, I just don't choose to do it this time and now, when you were reloading for, you can either reload for volume or reload for precision, right? I don't know about that. I, it, it's just the speed at which you do. Um, certainly, there is more to precision that could occupy your time, and 
you might only get a few rounds reloaded in a session of a night, or you could do thousands at a time. Um, once you determine your load and, and you've got everything set up, it, it really is a, how shall I say, an easy thing to sit down and prepare a thousand cases the next night, put powder in and seat your bullet and everything. So when we're we're talking about the applications here, you you can of course reload any cartridge that is reloadable. Now there are some some cartridges that are made out of things which are not reloadable, like steel. Well, I have been told that there are some steel reloadable cartridges these days, and I find that hard to believe because of the the work hardening and everything that would go into reforming that case, but. I haven't yet played with them, but generally aluminum and steel are not compatible with reloading. Or plastic. There are plastic cartridges, too. You know, I haven't seen any yet. That C- CCI makes some shot shells for semi-auto pistols that have a plastic cartridge. There you go. I mean, a it plastic is really, cartridge. Yeah, because they're using such a small volume of powder. Um, it's... It, they can get away with using plastic, and it, it, they're weird. And I've had some issues with extraction because the extractor can actually cut through the rim when it's trying to pull the, the cartridge out of the breech. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of different things that are being done right now in components that where different companies are trying to cut costs. And brass keeps getting more and more expensive. Brass is really getting expensive. Except these last few days, copper and brass have taken a tumble due to our Chinese friends. Well, as as we deal with any commodity, you know, prices fluctuate. And that's true with all, everything that is involved in reloading. And that's something that over the last couple of years we've seen a big issue with is the availability of components. I know that primers went into being vaporware for a while. It's still hard to find some powders. Uh, I saw last night somebody got a whole bunch of cases of unique powder on Facebook, and I went, Oh, there's something I haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. So you're right. C- certain powders are just unobtainium. And then we deal with the lead and the bullets and the jackets, the materials there. So the prices of, of the commodities that go into the components fluctuate wildly up and down. Sometimes lead is higher and sometimes the copper goes higher and that's used in the jackets of the bullets. So that's always an issue. Well, jacketed rifle bullets these days are astounding in cost. I'm absolutely amazed at at the prices of some of the hunting bullets that I'm going to be loading here in the next few weeks for this year's. So uh, what what are you loading in the next couple weeks? Well, uh, I will be loading .30-06. A friend of yours and mine is going hunting with me in Wyoming. He's got a new-to-him rifle that he inherited from his father. It's uh, a thirty out 6 and although I know several good loads for thirty out 6 we're talking ballistics that have to realistically hit a, a kill zone on a deer at three to 400 yards. Not saying he's going to do that, but I want him to be able to have the precision to do that since this is Wyoming, mm-hmm. and we do take long shots at times. Uh, but a good all-purpose uh, load with the ballistics uh, capable of that kind of, of uh, flight and terminal ballistics of a bullet type that... Uh, I've had very good luck with over the years. Uh, I want to 
do a custom load so that his rifle has the best that he can possibly use under those situations. So we're talking about customizing ammunition for him. Yes. Are you talking? Every gun's different because the barrels wiggle high speed as Mm -hmm. the bullet goes out. Look like a piece of spaghetti when the bullet goes through them, and that whipping barrel and the stock and how it touches the barrel and everything change every rifle. And so, generally, most rifles shoot different loads slightly different than other ones. And for all my hunting rounds that I've ever done, I've done a custom load that is different for each of my rifles. So I expect his will be slightly different as well. So what do you do to customize it to that gun? Is it about the bullet seating depth? Is it about the amount of powder? Well, since I'm going to uh, go and sight his rifle in with some factory rounds that he has, some privy partisan and, and other uh federal rounds it's really a matter of just trying to discover where he's going to hit the paper with that and then uh once i get the the gun in at 100 yards with some precision with that stuff so that i can actually tell i'm hitting the paper uh, i will go ahead and and take several bullets that i have good experience with and load incremental loads and see what they actually group as on paper in the second session that I'll take it out for. So you're talking mainly about altering the powder charge then? Uh, The bullet characteristics are such that on these copper bullets that I use that they have to be seated a certain way and there isn't really a lot of of give or take there. You have to be seated enough so that you're not going to contact the lands and grooves of the of the uh, the rifle chamber itself so i basically pull those back to then and then change powder charges and and generally i get a focusing of a group into three quarters of an inch at 100 yards or so on any rifle that i spend time with so we were talking a little bit about components. What components are necessary for reloading? Well, obviously the case. Primer, which sets off the powder. The powder, uh, which can be varying in composition depending upon the rifle or uh, pistol being shot. Uh, generally a bullet, sometimes a gas check if you are pushing velocities faster than a pure lead bullet can go, and a lot of elbow grease. Okay, so this is a, a, it's not a very involved, complicated process. It's fairly straightforward, but it's something that uh, we can start working on in our homes. It's something that we can do to cut costs, to have better accuracy, and it's it's something that I personally find rather enjoyable. So uh, when we come back from our commercial break, let's talk a little bit more about pistols and volume reloading. Go see on georgiacarry.org radio. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Welcome back, everybody. When we took our commercial break, we were just kind of wrapping up the, the beginning segment on what is reloading and what can you do with it. I, I want to talk a little bit about pistol reloading, or specifically for different pistols, and uh, reloading for volume. You know, we talked a little bit about altering the powder charges and the whether or not you can move the seating depth of rifle char- bullets in order to get a more accurate round tuned for a specific rifle. Are pistols much different when it comes to reloading? I don't think pistols are quite as uh, unforgiving as rifle can be because one bullet with a rifle, uh, changing the powder charge can change six to eight inches of a group easily. Mm-hmm. I don't see that with a handgun specifically because probably we don't shoot at those distances. But I do see rather regularly in some of my handguns, specifically my 38s and 357s, where the load and powder charge does make a difference, and you do get a focusing of the group even at 10 yards. And it's not necessarily a condition of, oh, this flashes more, so I'm going to flinch more. It's an actual change of group size depending upon what we uh what we load at the time well i I, you can put a pistol in a ransom rest and be able to get you know kind of an accurate measurement of what it and combination of its barrel and the load is doing but in the end the the sort of groups we're looking for with pistols are vastly larger than what we're looking for in rifles i mean we're talking about an inch is is the paragon of rifles at 100 yards, whereas if you were doing three inches at 100 yards with a pistol, you would be beyond the most superb pistol shot in history. So, Well, it depends on what you're doing with a pistol, too. Some of my pistols are hunting rounds, and I typically demand nine inches at 130 rounds group. Okay. Uh, obviously, the snub-nose revolver that you carry on your person for defense, isn't interested in doing a 150-yard group or 130 or even 100. You're, you're looking at maybe 25 at the most, right. as in the case of a def- defensive pistol where it's usually up close and more personal. So are there better loads for the up-close pistol? I think that what we're looking for, if you're looking for a target pistol load, Yes, you can dial in different loads, and you can tell even without a ransom rest if it's going to be uh, a more accurate load. One of the specific ones that I do is a 158-grain semi-wad cutter with 231 powders for 38 special, and over the years I've settled on 4.6 grains, I think. And that consistently is a higher accuracy load than a faster load or a slower load that you could do in either one of those. And don't quote me on that powder charge because I'm not sure that's just dragging it out of memory. But it, the group size does focus, at, and you can tell that with a 15-yard or 25-yard offhand shoot. Now, with some of our defensive firearms that were limited because they expect a certain power curve to actuate the action. I mean, when you're dealing with a 1911 or a Glock, you have a certain range that you must be in in order to get the the action completely cycle and chamber your next round. But when you're dealing with a revolver or a bolt-action rifle or a pump or a lever gun, that's not the case. Correct. 
So that gives you a lot more freedom. Now, not as much freedom on the top end because you're limited by the strength of the action, but it gives you a heck of a lot more freedom on the bottom end. Well, for instance, I have a a very nice Colt Delta Elite that um, you can really load high, and it works, and it works very well. And I've shot a lot of fast bullets out of it in a day, but then... Uh, realized that I first had this gun in 1988, and I rapidly realized that shooting very fast, hard loads out of this gun was not going to be a, a, an enjoyable thing. So I started loading it down, and this 10 millimeter, I got to the point where it wouldn't function with loads; it would short cycle and would not eject, and come to find out that's just about where the 40 short and wimpy uh began Mm -hmm. so i load a lead projectile semi-wad cutter in that 1911 and it pushes out just about 1100 feet per second any slower and it won't won't cycle and there are you know different guns i know like the desert eagles use a gas operated system so there (coughs) you're again looking for a certain curve of the power curve, but it's not related to the velocity. It's related to the amount of gas pressure generated behind it. Well, in the case of the 1911, it's specifically power derived from the lockup and the velocity, which implies a certain power power with a certain bullet. So, yeah, you, you have a different function completely in that gun than you would others. So if we move away from the semi-autos and, by extension, the full autos, although I don't know anyone who reloads for their full autos just because they're... Boy, that would be a hard thing. Let's go out and shoot this little bit of ammo I did last night. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're done. There you go. (laughs) Eight hours of sheer boredom and ten seconds of pleasure. Anyway. um, (laughs) That's that moment when you realize life sucks. (laughs) Oh, man, you can't. You can't be a single-stage reloader and do this fully automatic. Especially if you have some friends who want to pull the trigger. Oh, yeah. Like, Can I try that? Um, no. Did you help me load the ammo? Did you help me pick up the brass? Then you don't get to eat any of the cake. And then you meet people in dark parking lots. Hey, man, you got any brass? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I I almost hate to tell this story, but I used to go to the Charlie Elliott WMA when I was in law school and scrounge brass on Saturday afternoons because everyone would leave their brass and you could find some amazing stuff. There'd be the people out there with their 50 AEs and I was picking up 50 AE brass for the day. So you can go to the airport and pick up cigarette butts and you can go to the range and pick up brass. That's how you roll, right? That's pretty much it. The last several times I went to a public range up in North Georgia, the... The uh, locals came out of the woodwork to scrounge brass, and I had to practically Stomp remove it fingers. from their hands because it's like, no, that is 300 Savage Brass. You may not have that. Yeah, or, or <laughs> uh, I, I was always losing my 45 Super Brass. That's yeah. a hard one to come by. My 10 millimeter flung it about 30 yards out into the the willows or whatever. It was. I'd never see that again. <laughs> 
So, you know, I wanted to kind of gear us towards light loading and actions that don't require the power curve to make them function. And, you know, I'm getting into cowboy action shooting, and I have a lever gun and I have a revolver. Neither one of those require. And cowboy action specifically states that you're supposed to use a reduced power load. There you go. A reason for low power loads. He's getting into cowboy action shooting. And really? He has a is revolver. he getting it? <coughs> I he, has a never he has a costume now. He has a costume. I would have never I have guessed most that. of a costume. <laughs> you have, it's the whole costume. I'm just not done with the, the winter coat part of it. Well, the winter coat's what sets it off. Uh, it's the hat that makes you a cowboy, Doug. It has nothing to do with the coat. And the, the beard, too. The beard. Don't encourage him to grow back the forest. <laughs> I had an epic beard at one point. In oh, he, he's going to go What was it the lady it? asked? Were you Amish? Was that it? Yeah, the hat? That, that was just some poor person in Georgia who doesn't know anything about beards. Now, the impressive one was when I was up in Knack-Neck, Alaska, and the fisherman all came right, up right, to me right. and on, said that you on, have an epic on. beard. Now, that... That goes on your resume. That's, that, no, that's the moment where you realize you need a new racer. <laughs> he was just angling for a date, Doug. <laughs> you guys roll with it. I'm taking a drink after that one. <laughs> oh, wow. There's so many directions I could go oh, with this. None no. of them are Let's politically get back correct. To shooting. <laughs> so, light loads, another option. But there's some dangers with light loads, too. Well, the the danger is, of course, with light load, you have a case and bullet combination that are engineered to have a certain uh, density of powder in them. And that density of powder is also for ignition of that powder from a primer. And it varies if you are pointing down, you're pointing level, or you're pointing up where the powder is sloshing around inside the case. So you can be pointing up and get bang. You can be pointing level and get pop. You can be pointing down and get Yeah, uh, and that's a very real danger. And now uh, that's we're getting into very light and fluffy uh, trail boss type. Uh, powders. Which is another one that's hard to find. I hunted for that for weeks to find just one can of it at a gun show. Need some? I got some I can. <laughs> set, set Again, we're going to meet in a parking lot. You, <laughs> you got, to, got your money. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, in any case, if you have a, a uh, high density powder, it sloshes around and, and does not have a consistent ignition. So you have to have a powder that really fills 80% of the space or so to have some consistent ignitions. Don't some of the older reloading manuals talk about putting in filler or anything from cotton batting to the old Dacron? And and, and essentially it's just uh, stuffing from quilts. That's uh, cotton batting. Well, it's not cotton. They they talk about Dacron specifically. Uh, cotton, I'm I'm sure could be used, but I it's kind of heavy. Isn't, yeah, it isn't what I've seen lately. In the last, well, not lately. In the last thirty years, it's all been talked about the Dacron fill. So when you stuff around with this fill, and and then you fire that round, what uh, happens to the fill? I wouldn't say that you stuff it, <laughs> but it, it's a light little bit to keep the powder From. back against the the primer surface where it can be ignited and then the dacron just disappears into a puff of smoke folks we're up at a commercial break we'll be back in just a moment and 
now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. We're back, and we were discussing light loads when we took our break. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to do is cut costs with reloading. And if you can save a few extra grains of powder, that cuts some costs too. Well, the interesting thing about Trail Boss is <coughs> traditionally our powders have all been sold in one-pound <coughs> cans. Uh-huh. Trail Boss is half the weight, and it still comes in the same can, and so it's not quite as efficient money-wise as people think it is when they think they're buying powder. Well, but you're loading it with a lot less grains of Trail Boss, too. True, but you're only buying a half a pound. Right, but if 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 that, if that one pound of regular powder would load a 1,000 rounds and then half a pound of Trail Boss loads the same 1,000 rounds, you're not actually losing anything in the conversion except for velocity. True. So that, I mean, I, I, I can see, now, I don't think that it's quite as equal. I think that you're, you're getting half as much powder and you're loading, you know, maybe three-eighths as many rounds. But in, in the end, when your goal is to be safe, then that's a safety margin that doesn't involve, you know, stuffing it with cotton. Well, the first time I ever loaded that stuff, not only did it not flow through my Uniflow powder measure, but... I got all the way done, and I went, wait a minute, this is a pound. And no, it wasn't a pound. And I think I was loading 500 Smith & Wesson light loads for it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like it was mysteriously disappearing. I had a couple dozen rounds. and Well, shoot, the 500 Smith & Wesson just eats powder. I yes. don't care what, it, what you're doing. That, and that lead. thing. Yeah, I mean, it's I 700 mean, grains. You got a tenth of a pound per bullet. Yeah, it's it's an interesting reload. Um, I don't find Trail Boss to be too ac- uh, not accurate, but appropriate for most of the shooting that I do, as I do target shooting and hunting and, and you defense. you need the velocity. You need something that's going to reach out there. Well, I I don't always have velocity. Uh, I'll be loading probably forty five hundred to five thousand low pressure target loads that uh, have a cast bullet just for shooting 38 special uh, in the next year. So Now, another way that you can get to a low-power loading without having the dangers of excess case volume is to switch cases. And for many, many revolver rounds, there are other options. You can go from 454 Casul to 45 Colt to 45 Showfield. You can go from 357 Maximum to 357 Magnum to 38 Special. There's a danger in that, though, in that if you use a longer um, chamber gun with shorter cases, you typically get a powder ring of lead in some cases, copper fouling, and especially powder fouling at it midway in your case then if you want to go back to the longer cases say 357 from 38 then you shoot one and you can't extract it because it's sitting in there with that dirty powder ring and it's ironed out right against it and you can't get a longer shell out of it and so one of the things that i've certainly been discouraged over is not specifically changing caliber to caliber if i'm going to shoot one of my 357 guns i want to shoot light load 38 special class using 38 357 brass because it just 
trying to clean that off and use a gun that has a, a mid-case or mid-chamber powder ring from shorter ammo is is not very fun. Well, it certainly can, has its complications. And anything we're doing that's outside of what we would say is factory design parameters are going to have complications, whether you're going to download True. the cartridge, switch cartridges. And you should always use a cartridge that's designed for your firearm. I mean, that's not advice i'm trying to give is that you should go and start stuffing you know your your um 270 and your 30-06 to see how well fun (laughs) i actually i worked at a gun store years ago and i had a guy come in who was doing that 270 and 30-06 i thought you meant the other way around but yeah 270 kind of slings and (laughs) goes down the barrel radically Rattle down the barrel and but went off haywire. 270 is also longer than 30 out six, and I don't know how you would have closed the bolt on that without very carefully. It. Well, it very well could have, as far as I know. But he he had brought in the gun, and he said that it was having horrible horrible accuracy with it. You think? And, and we were like, well, what are we finally went to? What ammo are you shooting? He's like, these. My friends said they were the best stuff out there. Like, well, they're not the same. <laughs> not what's supposed to go in the gun. Mm. Yeah, kind of scary. There are some people out there who are very scary when it comes to that. And if you're a very scary person, please don't reload your ammo. Just go buy something. It's a lot safer. Because there are some serious safety risks with well, this. Well, you also mentioned your lever action guns. And there are some lever action guns that can't take shorter cartridges. They jam up. And, and, have, and jam up and try to double feed. So. Mm-hmm. That, that's also a consideration. You and have to understand your gun as well as the ammo when you're shooting it. Mm-hmm. And there are some lever-action guns which are very strong and some which are very weak. And that's something else that comes up with cowboy-action shooting probably more than other things where people start to use older and older firearms and try to run them like they're brand new. Well, that comes with the more power is better crowd, har, har, har. And sometimes it just is about getting the job done. Uh, one of my favorite hunting rifles is uh, my grandfather's 300 Savages, made in 1918. One of the first 300 Savage guns out there. And to be honest, there's no use trying to make it a race gun into a 308 or anything like that. It does the job in Pennsylvania just fine. And well, any kind of shooting sport, when it comes to, let me rephrase that, any hunting sport is a pass-fail sport. Either you get a clean shot and the animal dies, or you don't. Right. Now, it's not like when you're doing competitive pistol shooting where you're graded A, a through F on it, and you, there's tiny, minute variations. If you're hunting, it's a pass-fail, and if you get the job done, if you have overkill, it's just a matter of how big the crater is on the other side of the deer. Well... In this case, my grandfather died in 1982 in May, and I have some of his original hand loads that he had worked up. And it was a big thing when I found the 3031 powder so that I could duplicate his hand loads uh, last year at Cabela's. Oh, now, it, that's something I really want to hit on is because powders change. Well, at least it's a beginning. Uh, the The powders do change lot to lot, and... By a considerable percentage, and today's thirty thirty one isn't the same as as thirty years thirty thirty one. Which, incidentally, I still have some thirty year old thirty thirty one, but not enough to do what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, 
it is a matter of at least I have a starting point and I can work up a load with a powder that he documented as being extremely accurate in that rifle. Again, he started and he was a perfectionist. He had his own shooting range and he went up to the reloading bench. One of your family a perfectionist, really? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> uh Boy, you took the wind out of my sails on <laughs> <Wow>. that one. <laughs> but he w- he would go up and load five of of one, go down, test it, go back, and and do it again and again. And and all of the rifles that he ever shot had incredible small groupings for hunting, and that was his primary purpose in life was was hunting, and in Pennsylvania and and the western united states this appeals to people who have that kind of attention to detail mentality who like minutia and who like to see how far they can push an envelope i mean let's be honest there isn't much out there in reloading that hasn't been done before right well i'm a believer that every new cartridge has probably been done 30 40 50 60 years ago there isn't really anything more except for those super short magnums that have feeding problems because they're so short and they don't go in sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those are largely sinking back into oblivion now. Well, when you want to fit, you know, 30-06 power into a, an AR-15 magazine, what can you do? <laughs> you can't do much. <laughs> um, the, the whole thing is, is that my... Uh, getting into reloading was that we could make better, more accurate ammunition back in a time when factory ammunition wasn't so accurate and wasn't so great. We could put better bullets and better ballistics. I've seen some really big problems with factory ammo over the years. Folks, we've got another commercial break. You're listening to georgiacarry.org radio right here in your local station. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with a little more discussion of reloading and how you can join georgiacarry.org. Back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, folks. So we've been talking this hour about reloading and getting into reloading. Mark, I want to ask you, how much money do I have to spend to get started? Truly, it it's an inexpensive kit if you've never done it before and you don't know whether you're going to like it. And I think that's an important issue because I, I don't encourage people who have never driven stick to go buy an expensive stick shift because they may hate it, you know? Well, you have to understand that this is a, the, the cost of getting into this hobby is going to be several hundred dollars no matter what you do, just starting for one or two calibers. Mm-hmm. And um, my choice is the RCBS Rock Chucker kit, which is truly a lifelong investment. investment. And uh, with dyes, powder, primers, and books. I can't stress enough people to have multiple sources of where you get your information from because you have to have corroborating recipes in order to be safe in this. One book may look out of place from another. And I've I, always enjoyed the Hornady manuals. I think that they're a little more Hornady aggressive. Hornady are excellent. I, the Sierra... The uh, spear, 
I even have the accurate arms, uh, the Winchester loading. Uh, I have over 180 reloading books that I regularly go through. And I even have my grandfather Elmer's first two reloading books, his Wildcatting book, which, wow, some of these cartridges like 308, which were Wildcats back when he was starting. Whoa. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Spear Manual number one. Um, you know, these are treasures, and I've got his handwritten loading information written in the back pages of that for the very guns I shoot today. Uh, they've been in our family for several generations now, and uh, I reload for them. And let's face it, you just can't go out to the store and buy twenty-two auto, which actually you can't reload, but we just had to buy some for an old rifle we've got. Uh, 300 Savage isn't a common rifle caliber that you can yeah. find in a store. And reloading is really the only way we can enjoy those old rifles. And it, it makes a big difference. One of the things that I was looking into recently was a small Derringer pistol. And I found that the Derringer pistols from the actual 1880s are cheaper than Derringer pistols now. And then it dawned on me the reason is is you can't get 41 rimfire anywhere. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to have that. So it makes it makes a big difference, and the ability to reload these cartridges gives life to old guns. That is truly one of the primary reasons for reloading these days, is carrying on your traditional family guns that have been down through the, the, uh, the ages. Uh, we touch a lot on gun culture and how things have changed, and this is one of those touchstones that we can return to in that when your great-grandfather's gun or your grandfather's gun is passed down, you can keep it alive through reloading where you may not be able to find ammo at Walmart. Well, I have several guns that are coming up on 100 years old that are family heirlooms, and, yeah, I reload for them. Uh now, Mark, you are a member of GeorgiaCarry.org. Last I knew, yes. Yeah, and how did you how did you end up joining? I uh, wanted information on local gun carry laws back when it was a little bit less known what those laws were. And I've always been a member of the NRA since 1969 and a life member, and... They didn't really address what it was here in Georgia, and so I looked around and found uh, Georgia Carey and and said yes, and although I've been angry at them at times and everything else, they still are the best Georgia-focused gun rights group out there for getting actual laws changed, getting laws passed, written, and put into effect uh, through the legislature. So, folks, if you're listening and you're not a GeorgiaCarry.org member, it, it's a pretty easy process. You can go to www.GeorgiaCarry.org and click on Join Now in the top left-hand corner. And for $20 a year, you can be a member. For $500, you can become a lifetime member and never have to worry about that again. Get special privileges at the conventions, which was uh, held every year, and that uh, you get a hat and a pin and a little carry knife, and it's, it's a nice little package, and it's much cheaper. If you figure 20 bucks a year 
spaced over 30 years, you're saving $100, even if you only live another 30 years from the date you join. So right there, it has some, some definite fiscal advantages as well as you know some prestige in being a member of a un- unique and elite group who are changing Georgia laws left, right, and center. Uh, if you're looking to actually have a little bit of human interaction rather than joining online, you can go to just about any local gun show, most of the local festivals. You know, GeorgiaCarry.org shows up at the Big Shanty Festival. It shows up in, in I believe we were at the Shaken Boots Festival this last year. Just about anything that we can get a booth at, Georgia Carry is there. And you can sign up right on the spot, get yourself a sticker, get yourself a name tag, and be ready to go. Um, if you want to really get involved... More than just calling your legislator or, or giving the governor an email on upcoming legislation, there are local chapter meetings, and these come up all the time. You can go and meet people who are from your community who are getting involved, hear a speaker, have some lunch, and and find some way to get plugged in with the community and the group. All these are great ways of meeting people, of, of getting excited about what's going on, hearing the local news, finding out things which aren't always in the email updates, and things that are happening real time. So be sure to, to join up and become a member. And Mark, before we go, I think we should give a, a quick safety briefing on anyone who wants to reload. What are some of the dangers? Well, putting too much in, powder, too much primer, changing a primer that you have no experience with, Using maximum loads that you've developed with another primer. That Compression. Can, that can put it up over the, the power limit of that cartridge. Um, compressing powder where powder shouldn't be compressed. Double charging. Uh, not double checking and not looking at each mouth of the cartridge as you put powder in it to make sure that you don't put two charges in what are the consequences of making these mistakes kaboom in your hand in your face possible loss of life eyesight hands yeah the hot dogs (laughs) it 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 is it like anything it, it is dangerous but you know is it do you feel that it's more dangerous than operating a chainsaw or working on your car no but what I can tell you is is the people that I do teach reloading to, it's really a concentrate, don't have, obviously, smoking, don't have alcohol, beer out there, don't even have a soda on your, on your reloading bench because these things affect your concentration. They can add moisture or other things to your powder they can set the powder off in the case of smoking it's just you concentrate on this you look at everything you do you have a set procedure that you follow time and time and time and time and time again and when you get tired of doing that you give up and you come back and you follow the same procedure the next night, time and time and time again. If you vary that procedure, you can get into danger. Does having a progressive press make things safer? I don't believe so. And what is a progressive press? Progressive press is one that basically changes a reloading procedure so that every turn of the crank produces one full cartridge done. 
that is a priming function, a powder f- charging function, a bullet seating function. Um, all the resizing of the brass and everything is done at one station, and it ticks by and changes and ticks by and changes. What I specifically do is look more towards my quality and my my hobby of enjoying it. Single stage press. I may do 2,000 10 millimeter um, decap and prime over the course of a night and a half. And then I switch over to preparing it, priming it for another half a night. And then... In the course of five or six nights, I'll have two thousand rounds of ten millimeter done, all single stage. And you can you can decap and you can resize and let it sit for years, and it doesn't have any effect. So that's something that you can do and right. then set it and forget it, and not have to do the rest of it until you're ready. And to be honest, you can even prime them and set them for years because the primers <laughs> under optimum storage don't go bad either. So you can case prep prime. And then put away a thousand primed cartridges because if you're storing them correct, it's not going to be a problem. I had originally feared that the act of setting the primer might activate something and allow moisture to get in, but when I found out that Midway ships brass that way every day, it's been done for a hundred years. It's not a big deal. Well, folks, we are at the end of this show. We hope that you enjoyed a little bit of discussion of reloading with our special guest, Mark Curtis. If you have any questions, shoot us at radio at georgiacarry.org otherwise just tune back in next week because we'll be here same time same channel to bring you more exciting content right here on georgiacarry.org this has been georgiacarry.org radio with doug and jesse king georgiacarry.org is georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your second amendment right to keep and bear arms GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8, right here on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.